was asking the Lord last week when Jeremy was um, teaching on the triumphant entry, I was asking the Lord, you know, what what do you want to communicate? What do you what's in your heart for us, for our house, for for you and for our family? What is it that you want to tell us? And um, the Lord's really been on um, his love and how much he loves us and really being able to communicate and receive his love. And so he um, he told me, he said, Tracy, um, I want you to tell my love story. I want you to um, tell about how I carried my heart and what was in my heart in the journey of the passion. You know, they call it the passion for a reason because it was um, something that he had such great emotion about. He was so violent in his love for us and so passionate for us in love. It wasn't just something he did because he had to do it or he was supposed to do it. It was one of his greatest desires to do it, to have us as his own. And so I just consider it such a privilege to tell the most glorious love story that has ever been written in all of history or will ever be written in all of history. See, the word came down from heaven, and when he did, it says that the word became flesh. You know, the word was in heaven with the Father from the very beginning, and there wasn't even a beginning, but forever, that's, that's who he was. And he left the place beside his Father to come down to the earth and he became a man. And when he became a man, he didn't just temporarily come into the frame of a man. But his form was forever changed. And that's how much he desired to have us return back to the Father. That's how much his love, that's how powerful his love was. That's how passionate his love was for us. You know, I was asking the Lord about um, who he was, and, and, and last week, Jeremy did such a beautiful job. Don't you agree? Last, uh, last um, Sunday, when he talked about the entry, when Jesus made his entry into the, into the city of Jerusalem for Passover, and today I want to talk about part of that again, because there's some things that I feel like the Lord revealed to me that I'm hoping will really bless you. You know, when, when um, Jesus came to Jerusalem, he actually stopped and went to Bethany first. And he ate with his disciples. And Mary was there, the woman that he cast, cast the seven demons out of. And so Mary, in her love, she brought spikenard oil, the most costly oil, the most costly fragrant oil. And she broke it over his head and she poured it. She poured it down over his head and she anointed his feet. And I thought about this and I thought, well, Mary, who he cast seven demons out of, you know, I'm wondering where she got that oil because she wasn't married. You know, did she, was it, was ill-begotten means? Is that how she got the oil? Did she get the oil through prostitution? 
How could she afford this costly oil? And so she's taking this and she's pouring it on his head. And I want you to get a picture of what this looks like. Because as the oil drips down over his hair and down his beard, he says this, you know, when the disciples begin to say, it's such a waste, it's such a waste, we could have used that, you know, to feed the poor, to give to the poor, we could have exchanged that for money, because it cost a whole years of wages, and Jesus said, look, leave her alone, she's anointing me for burial, but I, as I was reading that, I realized that, that there was something else that was transpiring there. I believe that she was anointing him for the priesthood. Because Aaron and the priesthood had the tradition of being anointed by pouring the oil on their head. And it was to anoint the high priest. And so I looked at that and I thought, now isn't that interesting? And I followed that storyline all throughout the word. And I'm so excited about what the Lord has shown me. When he comes in the next day, he comes into Jerusalem, this beautiful procession, and it's a a procession of reception. Because everybody was there to lay down the palm leaves. Everybody was there, and they were celebrating him. They were celebrating who they thought that he was going to be for them, that he was going to be the king that was going to kick the Romans out, that he was going to be crowned king. And, that they, and, they, and they, were, they were celebrating everything that he had done, all of the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders. And so they were so excited about him. And so there was this huge reception. Well, it, he no further gets off that donkey as he goes into the temple courtyard. And what does he begin to do? He begins to cleanse the temple. So they're celebrating him, and then he goes in, and he basically picks a fight. Why would he do that? Because what was happening is there was happening a showdown, a showdown between what was at that time and what was about to come. And so the two... The two truths were coming together, and one was about to replace the other. So he does what he always did, right, when he goes into the temple. He starts teaching. So he goes and he throws everything down. He turns over all of the money changers' tables, right? You can imagine all of the noise that that created, right? And then he goes in and he's like, all right, let me just teach you now the ways of God. So he continues to teach, and this is what he says. He starts talking about the fullness of faith. And he starts talking about, and he starts teaching them. He says, listen, if you truly believe, then you will do everything that I've done and more, This is such great news. If you have the fullness of faith, then you will see these great things. 
And uh, then, uh, as we know, the Pharisees, you know, I can only imagine how they talk to one another. Okay, look, okay, what are you going to say to him? What kind of question can we ask him that can trick him up? Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to catch him so that even though he's speaking, ah, wait, you were wrong about that one little thing right there. You didn't cross that T. You didn't dot that I. And so they began to question him over and over and over. And this went on for a while until finally Jesus shuts them down with this question. He says, what do you think of the Christ? And the Christ is his, was his title. It wasn't his name. What do you think of the Christ? That word means, that title means the anointed one. It also means the oily one. What do you think of the son of oil? What do you think of the son of oil? That's what he was asking them. And so um, he said, who is he? Who is he? You see, the, the question was always over, who am I? You know, his disciples all along from the very beginning, close to the very beginning, they knew who he was. And he said to them, you cannot tell anybody who I am. Because if they find out who I am, then his day will be over and they'll begin to plot to kill him. And he knew that his time had to be at Passover because the scriptures had to be fulfilled. And so at this moment, he says to them, what do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? And they begin to talk to one another and they come back to him and they say, the son of David. And Jesus says this, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I, until I make your enemies your footstool. So he quotes out of Psalm 110. Psalm 110 speaks of the new priesthood that's going to be seen in the earth. Psalm 110 speaks of the priesthood of Melchizedek. And so he, he quotes that, and it was the very thing, it was the very scripture that shut the mouth of the Pharisees, and the word said that they questioned him no longer. So then after that, what I find very interesting he just begins to rail on these Pharisees. You know, Jesus, who is so loving and so kind to his disciples, he's so loving, he's so kind to the sinners. But the Pharisees, he begins to say this to them. I mean, it's just incredible. It's like the fury of the Father comes out of his mouth at that time. He says this. All right, you guys are blind guides. You're serpents, you're brood of vipers, you're hypocrites, you're fools. You're a whitewashed tomb. And on, on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of dead men's bones with all uncleanliness. Okay, so there's that. <laughs> I mean, isn't that incredible? And then his disciples say, can you tell us? about the end of the age. And he said, well, yes, I can tell you about the end of the age. And so he proceeds to talk about the Olivet Discourse, which is the whole, this is what's going to happen at the end of the age. These are the things you're going to see in the earth and in the moons and stars and all of that, right? And then Jesus tells the disciples again, oh, P.S., by the way, at the end of the Olivet Discourse, discourse I'm going to be uh, killed and 
hung on a cross, and then on the third day, I'm going to rise. I'm going to rise. And it's weird. It's like, hello. I mean, it's what he's, he's been telling them all along. But, but even though he's in Jerusalem and he's telling them this, he still doesn't get it. They don't get it. It's like they've got something over their eyes, and they can't see, and they can't understand, or they don't truly want to believe what, what he's telling them. Or maybe they think, is this another parable? What do you mean by you're going to be hung on a cross, and you're going to die on the third day? And what, is, what do you think that means? <laughs> I mean what I say. All right, so then he tells him, he said, listen, we're going to um, celebrate the Last Supper with you, I, the Passover. We have to celebrate the Passover, so go and prepare the upper room for me. And so as they did, uh, Jesus says this to them as they all go up there. He said, with a fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I desire with a fervent desire to eat this meal with you, to celebrate our lives together. So he began to pass around the bread and the wine, and he told of the coming betrayal. And he said this, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Then Judas asked the question, is it me? And Jesus replied, it is you. Incredible. And the disciples, he took and he passed around the bread to the disciples. And he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said, this is my blood. He passed around the wine, and he's like, this is my blood. And this, as you take it, will be for the remission of sins. Take this in remembrance of me. And so he initiated communion, their common union, that they would continue to remember Jesus and all that he did. And still, they're there not fully understanding the gravity, the magnitude of what is taking place. Because they turn to one another, and they begin to debate about who's the greatest. You know, Peter, I realize that you've got a lot of zeal, but uh, I'm John. I've got my breast, my head on Jesus' breast. You know, I'm the closest to him. You know, he really loves me the most. And I realize that you may have, you know, healed this guy of leprosy. But let me tell you, so they begin to debate who is the greatest. Isn't that incredible? Jesus is like, okay, I'm dying. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. P.S., one of you is going to betray me. Um, here's my body and my blood, which you're going to eat and you're going to drink. I already told you about that earlier, several years back. Do you remember that? Okay, now we're in that moment. Everything's transpiring, and they begin to argue and debate. <laughs> I really think, you know, we're still doing that today. No, I'm better. No, I'm better. No, I'm better. And he's like, hey, time out. Let me tell you who's the greatest. The greatest is the one that's the least. And I'm going to show you because I'm going to wash your feet. And unless you let me do this to you, unless you do this to one another, you cannot be my disciple. He's still teaching them. 
So then he goes on and he begins to pray for them in John 14 through 17. And he begins to tell them the very last thing that they'll hear from him before he goes to the cross. And he says several things to them. He says, the spirit of Christ is coming to you. That the Holy Spirit, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go away, but I'm going to leave you with a helper. I'm going to leave you with my spirit. And he's going to bring to you truth. He's going to bring to you peace. He's going to bring to you joy. He's going to help you to overcome. And then he said to them, love me and love each other. Stay close to me. And if you do this, then my glory will be seen through you. And the whole earth will know that you're mine. So he goes and he makes his way that evening to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is called the oil press. You see, Christ, the anointed one, the son of oil, was about to be pressed by his sorrow and how he understood, even though his disciples didn't, what he was about to encounter. And he said this to them, I am exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he began to pray and he said, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the word said that he was so desperate and, and feeling the enormity of what he was about to encounter that the Lord sent him an angel to strengthen him. The word said that he was in agony as he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like drops of blood that were falling to the ground. You know, he understood the coming rejection. And we all are familiar with rejection. And he was experiencing that very rejection because here's the truth. You cannot truly know rejection unless it comes from a brother. When you are rejected by those that you've poured your life into, when you're rejected by those who you have given the fullness of your love, your loyalty, who you have walked with and cared for, and then they betray you. And it wasn't just Judas that I'm talking about. He knew that it would be his entire family. That those that he had been called to, to bring and to gather into himself, like a mother hen gathers her chicks, that they would flee from him. And they wouldn't just say, no, I reject you. But they would say, no, I reject you in the most humiliating, shameful way. That they would make of him a public spectacle. 
And so he's experiencing that feeling in the spirit what's about to come on his heart. What's about to come on his heart. Because it's sorrow where you realize that tearing away. And then he began to, to, to think about the, the physical torture and knowing the 39 lashes that he would be taking. And then the weight of sin of every kind. I know that when I experience sin and I may be hit with a spirit of jealousy or envy or something or there's something there, the feeling of it is so overwhelming that it makes me want to cry. And I can't even imagine what it must have felt like to have the sin, the weight of the sin of every kind come on him. Then Judas comes to him. He says to um, his three closest, Peter, James, and John, he said, come on, the betrayer is at hand. And he actually walked towards him. And they said, are you Jesus? And, 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 and Judas came over. And he began to kiss him. <laughs> Just incredible. He said this. He said, teacher. And he gave him a kiss. And he said, Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? And he willingly went. He willingly let them put chains on him. And they took him to the high priest in the dark of the night. In the dark of the night. In secret. They said, come on, we're going to take you so nobody sees that's the epitome of manipulation and control, isn't it? So they take him and they begin to question him to find something that they can accuse him of. They question him, they question him, they question him, and Jesus does not reply. They hit him. He does not reply. And then finally, Caiaphas, the high priest, approaches him. And he says this, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. You see, there it is. Who are you? Jesus lifted his head and he looked eye to eye to Caiaphas. And he said, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of the Father and coming in the clouds. And Caiaphas turned and he tore his robe and he pointed at him and he said, he must die. Why? 
Because Jesus just told the high priest, I have been sent to replace you. Your reign over these people has now come to an end. There is a new high priest in the land. I have been anointed with the oil of gladness. <laughs> Woo! And Caiaphas said, take him to Pilate. And Pilate began to inquire upon him, why should I kill this man for you people? And he questioned him, and he questioned him, and he questioned him. And Jesus said nothing in his defense. And then the question came. Are you king of the Jews, as they are saying? And Jesus lifted his head and said, It is as you have said, that I am a king. For this cause I was born into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And again, they said, kill him, kill him. We reject him. He is not our king. Caesar is our king. And he said, you know what, Pilate, I'm going to let you off the hook because it is they that has the greater sin. And Pilate washed his hands and he said, I am not guilty of this man's blood. And so they began to scourge him and they beat him with 39 lashes. And the word says that they actually stripped off his clothing. And in scourging him, a soldier used a whip called a flagrum, consisting of leather straps embedded with metal and glass fragments with small metal balls that were sewn into the end of each strap. This whip, when it was brought down with its full force, tore through his flesh. And every time that whip came down, you were healed. That any disease that came near you, as that whip cut into his back, he said, that's for you. I did it for you. So you don't have to suffer with sickness and disease. So he began his journey, the procession of rejection. And as he did, he could barely walk. He couldn't carry the heavy cross. And so they sent a man named Simon to help him carry it. And as he walked, he walked with the mocking of the people that he had come to save. The people that he had been ministering to. The people that he had poured himself out for over the last three years. 
he was probably looking around and thinking to himself, oh, I healed you of leprosy. Oh, wait, I healed you. Oh, wait, you're part of the 120, and you're here. You're here to mock me. But the truth is that this was his finest hour. That as he was being crushed under the burden of the physical and the emotional torment, it was the victory of a life laid down in love. And so as they nailed his weak, bloodied, tortured body to the cross, He completed his broken-hearted journey. And as he's hanging there, I can only imagine what he must have been thinking as he reflected on his life and everything that he had done and the life that he had lived as a man. And I would imagine that he saw his future. And he said, I'm coming home, Dad. I'm coming home. And as he was reflecting back, I can only imagine if these words echoed in his mind when he said, these things that I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full, that you would love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You see, he gave up his spirit and when he said it is done, He was saying, I have won. I have won. I did it. Father, I did it. I completed what you asked me to do. I have brought them home to us. I have brought our family home. I have made a way for them to return into your loving arms, oh God. You see, on that day, love won. Love won. They may have put him in the grave, but here's the thing. <laughs> love cannot be buried. And you may try to put love in a grave, but love will not stay in that grave because love cannot be hidden and love cannot be covered because love will overcome the grave. He overcame that grave on that day. It doesn't matter how many times the people in your lives, they try to kill you and bury who you are because love cannot be killed. It doesn't matter how many times ISIS tries to murder uh, uh, Christians in the Middle East. Love will prevail. Every time a Christian is martyred, he falls into the ground and a hundred will take his place. 
Because when you kill love, love will rise up and be multiplied. Because love has a life, and that life is abundant, and that life will be multiplied through your life. You see, when that stone got turned away, when that stone got rolled back, when he said, it is finished, he said this, I have won. I have gone to sit at the right hand of my father. I have become the great high priest. I have replaced the law, have become the law, and the law has become love. And now I'm releasing a whole generation after generation after generation of people in the earth that will worship me in love, in love, in the spirit. And I will make them priests and king to my God. And they will rule and reign in the earth. And they will make my enemies my footstool because I was victorious. I praise you, Jesus, and I thank you, God, for what you did at the cross. Amen and amen.